produced by the E, the HNIC, Revenue, your city. Live and direct, cause he always come correct. Yeah. When he does an interview, it makes the streets so connect. He stimulates the brain, your mobile device. They want to smash like the Hulk when he claps you with advice. It's all about the news when he drops and beats slow. Yeah. So pay close attention, shit's about to explode. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, coming to you live from the Upper West Side, New York City, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. I am your host, Ephraim Guzman, and my guest today, he's back once again. You've seen him in The Devil's Rejects. He's also been in Rango, and he's also in the latest Rob Zombie film, 31. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the man, Mr. Lou Temple. Lou, welcome back, man. How you doing? Oh, Ephraim, so good to be back. It's so nice to have a visit with you. It has been, um, that was a quick year. They're getting quicker these days, uh, I'm sure. Uh, I don't have to tell you, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a minute since we had a visit. So it, it's nice to be back on the west side uh, of the Big Apple. And I know that um, at least it's, it's not frigid outside in um, where you're at. Yeah, like the weather's been pretty good. It's been in the high 50s. We haven't really had that much snow besides the storm Jonas, but um You know the good thing about you know the good thing about crappy weather? What's the good uh, thing? Sitting inside and watching movies or television shows, binge watching your favorites and rewatching um, old faithfuls. You know, there's nothing better than than sitting inside knowing that it's not good to be outside because it's cold and you can't get anywhere the city shut down it's good to be able just to uh to, to tap in we used to we used to do that with like way back in the day with these things called um video cassette players vcr and then we adapted to uh, dvd and then we even went to blu-ray and now we're just on streaming uh what next hologram i think is is next for us Ephraim. <laughs> so uh, but I have just come back from uh, a beautiful, pristine, snowy winter wonderland in Park City, Utah, where the Sundance Film Festival is. And uh, I was uh, very fortunate to be present and on hand for Rob Zombie's latest film, which had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival, the film 31. And uh, we had a wonderful screening. Uh, Saturday, the 23rd of January was it was the official premiere, and then it screened the next night on the 24th as well. Both sold-out shows, both received very well. Um, the movie is, uh, is, it's a Rob Zombie movie, no apologies. It's in your face. It's incredibly intense. I think that it, it, um, it probably doesn't let you up for much uh, room to have a giggle or at least a guilty uh, snicker the way we did in Devil's Rejects, for instance. So this one, this one's all in and um, and pretty vicious. So I, I think it will not disappoint his fans at all or in the least. I think it will, uh, it is dressed to impress. Let's put it that way. We know Rob's movies are like sick and depraved and it has a lot of, you know, different graphic violence, nudity, rape, and etc. How is 31 different from the other movies you worked on with Rob? Well, uh, I think all, all, all of those uh, adjectives and 
pronouns that you just used. We're doing an English class here, it seems. <laughs> um, all of those are in place. There's, there's, uh, none of those are missing. Um, oh boy. I, I think that, for instance, there's, there's some, some humor, some dark humor that starts in 1000, House of a Thousand Corpses, of which I was not in, but followed up into Devil's Rejects. There was definitely some dark humor that we could take a laugh at, and it, it endeared us to the characters, both, um, you know, the good people, the victims, so to speak, as well as um, uh, the bad people who, who, you know, turned out, we ended up rooting for the Firefly family in the end. So, um, in in this movie Thirty One, there's there's far less to laugh at and laugh with, and um, it's it's just it's filled with tension. I think as much as anything, um, this movie moves a little faster than his other movies. Uh, this this movie uh, moves at at a video game speed where you don't you're not given much of a break to reflect on what just happened. You're really pushed into the next dark corner and you don't know what's coming. So I think that is uh, is relentless to the audience. I think you, you come out of the theater saying, oh my gosh, I, I just was on Hellride. And, you know, that is what his fans and fans of the horror genre come to expect and really appreciate. So he does not disappoint in, the, in that way. Um, I find it interesting the subtlety that actually is in the movie, uh, which you will have to um, see, I think, uh, for a second time to really catch uh, the very subtle motivations. And there will be questions you'll have that you'll want have answered, which again will require you to go back uh, to watch the movie again. Much less psychological than Rob's last um, picture, which was Lords of Salem, which I actually really liked very much, uh, his homage to Rosemary's Baby. Um, this is more in your face and straightforward uh, mayhem and, and violence and uh, and victimization. So I, I think he continues to push the envelope and tell a story. And then I think what he's done is taken some of the subtle psychological inroads that he developed in Lords of Salem and and just delicately weave them through just enough to give you a little bit of a taste to have to think as to why are they killing these people. And, and oh, that's interesting, you know. Put it this way, if, if you put a scorpion and a mongoose and a cobra and some, uh, 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 a, a pile of red ants and a tarantula yeah. in, in like a terrarium, you know, like a fishbowl mm -hmm. or fi a fish tank, and you just let them all go, you know, the one thing they're all going to try to do is survive. And through survival, and they're not—they're not necessarily going to go to the corner of those uh, of, of that terrain, of that geography, and, and hide out from each other. There's there's probably not one of, of those creatures that would hide from each other. They're going to go face to face, and the weakest of that bunch, you might say, well, you know, those ants—they're—they're going to 
going to attack just as much as get attacked as well as the scorpion or the cobra or the mongoose. It's, it's, it's this base animal instinct, and that's what I feel like 31 is. Yeah, that, 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 to me, that's the reference point of 31, and it's, uh, it's interesting to watch. It's interesting to watch if you threw all, I mean, just imagine, you know, you know, it's one thing to throw a butterfly into that fishbowl, you know, mm -hmm. with a tarantula and a scorpion and, and some, and some fire ants, that's one thing, but let's take the butterfly out and, and throw a snake in there, you know, and see what happens, and, uh, or, 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 you know, let's put a centipede in there, so that's kind of what this is, I think, and, uh, and if that paints a picture for you about how painful it can become, let's put your hand in there, how about that, <laughs> let's, let's throw all that in there, and then just reach down, stick your hand in there, and see what happens, um, uh, and, and so that's, that's the reference I use for, for 31. Can you give like a brief rundown of what it's about for the people that are listening? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The thirty uh, first uh, day of October seems to be the day that most people go missing in the United States of America. And Rob uh, came up with a story that they are abducted uh, by a uh, a group that is puppet puppet mastered. Uh, by a, a triage, a trio of, uh, of, uh, oh, I suppose they're, uh, bourgeois types of, uh, operators of what's called Murder World, which is, which is a, a warehouse of mazes and mysterious corners and, and alleys and, and, uh, uh, strange rooms, uh, and the victims who are captured are given 12 hours to overcome the odds of uh, those who will be hunting them, essentially, and these are, are, are grease-painted uh, uh, humans, nothing supernatural, no one's, everyone is human, but these are mass murderers coming uh, to take sport on the victims, and the victims are given some rudimentary weaponry, uh, no pistols or handguns. This is all um, this is all violence, and uh, and they've got to survive. And and again, they're all thrown into this setting, and and you have to wonder why. You know, who has a taste? Who has that bloodlust that would make them do this? And, and what happens when you see something, an injustice within you? Do you turn? killer yourself and so those are those are the uh, the push button uh, issues of the film and the topic and so it's a pretty good run all the way through and um what is the character that you portray well i play one of uh, i play psycho head who is one of the uh killers and he is uh he is not uh he's not light fair you know he's he's hardcore and he's there to deal and it is uh
black and green and white look with, uh, you know, green hair and sporting a chainsaw as my weapon of misery. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty intense. And I have a brother uh, played by the actor David Urey, uh, who's a fantastic guy, great, great dude, but also a really great character actor. And uh, David plays my brother in the movie. He plays Psycho Head. And uh, he's uh, he's he's great, and the two of us uh, come after the victims and, and, and raise hell. Uh, so, and we're followed up by five others, headed up by a gentleman named uh, Richard Brake, who plays Doomhead. And uh, Doomhead is uh, uh, he, he's he's entirely interesting. So. Um, <laughs> So these are, you know, this is the game. This, this is the game that we are, uh, we're, we're thrown into, and what, that we, uh, we keep, uh, we keep it moving. So yeah, and you know, uh, Rob, Rob likes that style from like the '70s style of filmmaking. Yeah, he's got a real ground out, a grindhouse. Yeah, and this is no exception. You know, he he's used some some great photography. Uh, and it, it it works, you know. His uh, his stylization for this lends itself to to those movies uh, from the seventies. And this movie also takes place in the seventies, so it's it's right at home with that style. Okay. Um. How was the reaction at Sundance? Did did uh, a lot of people? Oh, enjoy fantastic! It? Yeah. I mean, there's some things there that you just go, what, what, what? <laughs> you know. And I think people did, and so that was. That was great. Uh, that was lovely and ideal, and I think uh, we um, we didn't disappoint anybody, and, and everybody felt really comfortable with the fact that they had just seen and witnessed a Rob Zombie movie for sure, and, and it it was full fledged. And um, you know, you, you you start not knowing what to expect, and you get a little out of sorts. It's like a You know how some people they they only watch certain types of movies because they yes. they're not like into movies like that. What what do you say for people who are not into movies like that? You think it's something like they could handle, or is, this is no, not for every? I don't think if you're if you have a penchant for violence and that and and, and to see human. Um, Suffering. If you're good with that, then this is then this will serve you. But if that if that is not within uh, your level of, of tolerance, if if you if you're just not wired to be able to stomach that, then this isn't going to be a, a good time for you. Um, yeah, because this is really physical violence. This isn't. You know, this isn't gunplay or weaponry that is 
I think I think you should know that it's not like you're going in to see Little House on the Prairie or anything like that not even you know you're not going in to see Goonies you're not going in to see the Gremlins you're 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 not in this instance you're not going in to see um anything that is remotely um forgiving this is incredibly unforgiving yeah. Did you have to audition, or did Rob say, Lou, you're going to be in my movie? Or this is Yeah, I mean, I, I have the good fortune to have a re relationship and rapport with Rob that uh, I'm able to be invited in as part of the uh, the recurring ensemble. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I don't take that lightly, because I, one thing for Rob is he continues to change and update, and he certainly can have a new group of people, which, which he, he, he never, he never neglects his, his regulars, but he, he, I, I give him credit that he continues to update by bringing new people into the fold. So it's not a given that I'm ever going to be in his next movie, but in this instance, it's, it was a fit and, and I, um, I'm always really appreciative. Uh, I like doing Rob's movie. I like working with Rob. I like Rob as a friend. So it's a, it's a good time. It's a, it's a good time to hang before the movie, before we go to work, uh, and miles after we're done. But during the, the actual work, it's really intense, and it's a lot of work. This work, this movie for me was incredibly physical. Um, you know, because I'm not wearing any clothes, I have, I'm a, rather conscious of, you know, my ass is hanging out there, literally. Um, I'm physically wielding a chainsaw which is dangerous to anyone around me and yeah. myself uh, and I've got to be aware of that and I just uh, the type of character that I was um, asked to be to present wasn't pleasant and it didn't make me feel pleasant so the day really wasn't that pleasant it was you know it was it was it was uh, always on the verge of just an angry eruption, which I think did occur on a couple of occasions. You know, when I work, Ephraim, I like to build a bit of a soundtrack in my head, a personal soundtrack, not really for Lou, but for the character. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, for a movie like Unstoppable, when I did that, I think is when I really started to connect with this process and approach, and that was a, a song called Commotion by Creedence Clearwater. It just was that that continual movement, which was a lot like what we were doing uh, with the train. And uh, for The Walking Dead, I, I used uh, a lot of music from this guy named Citizen Cope, an East Coaster, mm -hmm. uh, a guy in the... He had a particular song called Bullet and the Target, which which the, my character Axel ended up being. Um, and, and in this case, in this instance, for Rob's movie, for 31, my, my theme song or my uh, the soundtrack to the life of Psychohead was uh, Black Betty, uh, the song from Ram Jam, the Ram Jam band. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I think you know it, but there was a version of that by another band, an updated 
excited for Rob's roles in, in, in the movies you've been in, from Halloween to um, The Devil's Rejects, now to this. You know, you, you played depraved characters. You know, I, I think I talked about this with you when you was on last time, but how did you mentally focus yourself to playing the psycho clown? Like, did you have to take yourself in a dark spot like like you did in other roles? With, on, in, yeah, in yeah, movies? I did. You know, and, and I think because... Uh, had to also, because a person like that who is, you know, still human, mm -hmm. but not reasonable, you couldn't give him as much reason as I may have given Noel Cluggs, the real dark, ugly person from Halloween, um, uh, the attendant uh, that was Michael Myers, uh, yeah. later for Michael Myers and, you know I was able to kind of give him an ugly background and because he had a reason he wanted to control Michael Myers whereas this guy Psychohead doesn't have that reason um, his only legitimate reason is that he can't die and won't be killed and so and has no fear of that um, and doesn't have value for human life because he doesn't value his own. And that's about the best reasoning I could give this guy. So he goes for no mercy mm. with anyone or anything, and, and he works on that level, really base and really ugly. And, you know, animalistically, I don't... You know, you get in a fight with a bear, he's not going to say, okay, you had enough. I'm going to walk away now. Don't come around here anymore. I mean, he might. I've never been in a fight with a bear, but I don't know. Let's ask Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> so I tried to give him sort of those animal bases that were unpleasant and, uh, and ugly and see uh, where, where we ended up. And it, and it, you know, it seemed to serve the film. And, you know, it's always Rob's decision and his last call and how it's going to go. And I would just check in with him and see what where, where he thought I was at and if I was pushing the envelope too far. And he, he would always offer it's never too far. One thing about Rob is he doesn't like to be safe. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't like things to be safe because he knows when they go unpleasant and when people are not comfortable doing what they're doing which most of the time I wasn't he knows that's the right place to be so wow that's interesting you worked with Rob so far in a lot of his movies do you think this is Rob's best movie to date or do you I don't know and if I said that I think that I wouldn't be doing justice to the other movies and I think each movie has its own highlight mm -hmm. of being but I would say, I would say, this is what I would say. This is his most intense movie. This might be his most violent movie. Devil's Rejects to me had those things, but it also gave you a break because we got to, we got to have a laugh about the chicken fucker. I'm not, I'm not but he looks a little sexually frustrated. Things like that. <laughs> or, you know, um, they ain't nothing but a bunch of, you know, local cousin fuckers cornhole in the livestock, you know, that kind of thing breaks up the intensity where we get to re re 
back and then gear up for the next mayhem kill scene, you know? Um, don't you ever uh, make fun of Elvis, Aaron Presley again. Those kinds of things. This movie doesn't have that in the least. There's not one moment where you'd go, that's funny! Ah! You know, everything's fairly threatening. And uh, so, no, I, I don't... I, I, I wouldn't say... And Lords of Salem, again, speaking to that movie, I understood that to be a wonderful psychological movie. Did it happen? Did Were we witnessing a reality, or was this a dream state, a psychological drug-infested dream, you know, or was that real? And, uh, you know, those kind of movies that make you think are... Perfect. Rosemary's Baby is one of my favorite horror films in general, bar none. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and the violence in that movie is very minimal. But in your head, what you think you just saw is is pretty uh, unsettling. Yeah, and so far, you know, Rob's movies are have been unsettling, you know, with like The Devil's Rejects. Now this movie, Thirty One Lords of Salem. I think you know he touched, like you said, he he touched he touches a nerve with people where it's almost it's it's a train wreck. You want to watch it, or some people just yeah. can't even handle five minutes of the movie, and you know they just cut it off. He has that quality where he brings it back to movies of the old eighties where there was no you know you know it wasn't really PC back then, and then any anything could happen balls to the wall. Do, do you agree? I do agree. I do think that he's not overly concerned about what PC means in today's standards. Yeah. I think Rob has a lot of respect for everybody. I don't think he's disrespectful to anybody, but I also don't think that in the confines of his filmmaking, he's going to be led by what's appropriate and what's not. Um, you know, he's... He... he, he I don't think he's any one thing, but I also don't think he's he's laid boundaries or or that he's uh, he's he's been dubbed mad, you know, mandated by things like the MPAA to to make a certain type of film. I just don't find that he works in, in that safety net. This is good or this is marketable or this isn't going to buy, you know. He's not overtly trying to shock or offend anyone. He's just making the movies that he finds interesting himself and knows that there are people like him that will find these movies interesting as well. Yeah. But the, the, do you know if he has anything else he's thinking about doing in the future or this is pretty He does. He has a, his next project ostensibly is going to be um, a biopic of sorts. I think it's the last years of Groucho Marx, the wonderful uh, actor who was um, kind of held hostage in his own house by, by an aide. And there's a book uh, that references, you know, that's that's been written on it by uh, one of an intern or something that lived at the house. And it's kind of creepy. It's kind of dark. So uh, might be along the lines of a Stephen King's Misery or something like that. Uh, but it's uh, it's Groucho Marx movie, and um, it's uh, it's being written by. Uh, uh, 
Mm-hmm. He recently wrote Love and Mercy, which was the Brian Johnson story from the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I think he's I think he's getting gearing up to focus on that. I also think he's got another tour coming out with a new album, if I'm not mistaken. So let's not uh, <coughs> wonder what Rob Zombie's doing. He's he's busy. He's if we did, he's like the the military. If we got <laughs> half as much done as he does, we'd all be in better shape. Wow, you know, he has a brilliant mind, and, you know, his movies are not for everybody, but, you know, it's it's when you watch it, it's like, you know, you want to go to a movie, and you want to escape realism, and you want to take yourself away from that, so the, his movies are definitely heart-stopping, and nail-biting, and seat-jumping, so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing this. Right on. Well, I don't think you'll be disappointed. You, keep, you let me know, alright? I definitely will. I'm sorry, now I'll let you know how you look with just a chainsaw. <laughs> So far, Lou, um, what, well, I know you've been working a lot. Is there um, anything else you've been doing now? Because I, I, I see on your IMDb, you, you have yeah, like a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much coming out this year. Um, I think the first thing that drops is a cool little uh, haunted house picture of a ghost story um, called uh, Home, H-O-M-E. And it's not the... Um, the animated feature. This is uh, this is a movie uh, about a, a a an event, a psychological event in a house that is uh, a, it essentially is haunted and it affects a family that's just moved in. And uh, I'm uh, a neighborly uh, school teacher who who helps uh, you know kind of uncover this tragedy that, that's going to occur. And uh, this stars uh, Heather Langenkamp yeah. uh, yeah, from the, the uh, Friday the 13th series and also uh, I think Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street, yeah. Sorry, did I say Friday the 13th? <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I was thinking of uh, of another movie uh, that I, I work uh, with Lisa Wilcox, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. But it Samantha Mumba, Mum, Mumbai, Samantha. Uh, who's a British actress and yeah. pop star. So uh, it, this is really cool, and it's done very well uh, by director Frank Lynn, and uh, uh, I think it's going to show very well, and it opens on uh, March the 1st. Uh, for those Netflix fans that are out there and like to binge watch, I'm, uh, I'm seasoned. Four of Longmire, which is out there. Uh, that's a kind of a modern day western uh, about a sheriff in uh, uh, wide open spaces in Wyoming, and I play kind of a red herring there. I think some of the work on this television show that I did on, uh, for ABC called Wicked City uh, might be out there on the internet somewhere. I'm not sure where you'd stream yeah. that. Yeah, but it's actually kind of cool with Jeremy Sisto and. and uh, Ed Westwick, uh, right? Eddie Westwick's on yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's on. I, I believe it's on Hulu because they got canceled after three episodes. But I think the rest of the season, did. yeah, is on Hulu. I believe. Thank you, thank you. Because uh, and I, I feel like we got a little short change because I, I think as an anthology we had some legs, but it, apparently ABC felt like we didn't. But um, uh, the work was solid. Eddie is uh, as lovely as is Jeremy Sisto. Uh, who I've worked with before on, on uh, Waitress. Um, 
course with the relativity uh, debacle, which relativity is the is the production house, the finance, the movie, and they've gone bankrupt. So they're holding this as a piece uh, that has value. This this piece of property, this film, mm-hmm. uh, which has delayed the release. But I think I've heard we're going to be able to get that out this summer, and that's going to be an action thriller uh, with Hallie and myself. And the title informs that I um, take her child, which is never a nice thing to do. <laughs> uh, but she is going to try and get that kid back. So that will be exciting. Um, uh, there's a cool movie I have called Desierto. Well, what is that and about? Desierto is about... Um, a, a vigilante on the Arizona-Mexican border who decides to take matters, the immigration uh, crossover into his own hands with his seven-millimeter rifle. And apparently <laughs> there, are, there are people like this, unfortunately. And uh, I, um, I am a Border Patrol agent that comes across this man, and, and he tells me... Um, that he's just out hunting rabbits, when in effect he's hunting, he's hunting people, and uh, and I kind of catch on to that uh, and chase him a little bit, but not before he does a lot of damage. And he is played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who is now coming into uh, the Walking Dead family, as we all know. Yes, and uh, and the man that he's chasing that he comes up against is uh, Gael. Uh, Garcia Bernal. Oh, um, who's on that um, Mozart in the Jungle now, right? It's that. Right, which yeah. is incredibly popular. And uh, they're fantastic talents, and I'm proud just to be attached to that. Uh, uh, there's a film called Shangri-La Suite, which I understand is coming out this summer as well, uh, with Emily Browning and um, Luke Evans, and they plot to kill Elvis Presley in 1974. Um, is that uh, they can they can solve the world's problems if they put the king down, and uh, I play I play a Dennis Hopper type role out in the desert, which is really fun. Uh, so I'm I'm uh, fairly excited about that as as well. And then I've got a really cool movie. I'm not sure when this is going to be released. I'd say more in the fall called Feral. And this uh, this is with myself and um, Scout Taylor Compton. Yeah, from Renee Olmstead and uh, some really cool young people in this movie. Uh, and it's the old Cabin in the Woods uh, tale, you know, and some wild things that happen out in the woods. So Mark Young, my old friend, directed that. And uh, so I'm excited to see where that goes and how that goes. And then, you know, I've got about four or five of these movies lined up to do uh, this this year. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's TV season right now, so I'd like to get back on a series and, and do some work and, and just keep on telling the stories that I enjoy telling and hopefully people enjoy watching. Wow, you're probably one of the busiest actors out there because, like I said, you've been on TV and you've done a lot of movies and you're still doing movies. Do you prefer having to um, to be on a TV series or you're fine, you know, being like the journeyman actor like you are? Well, that's a two-part question. 
I mean, today, you know, I think we, I think about the time we're fine being one thing, we have to understand that the world turns and, and there's a change. So just about the time we're enjoying the sun and playing outside as children, it gets dark and we have to come inside and go to bed. So those are changes uh, that happen and have always happened. And so we uh, experience these changes in our vocations as well. So where I was really just fine doing film and uh, uh, doing independent films and telling stories and getting opportunities that I might not get in studio films and then getting chances to work in studio films like, you know, The Lone Ranger or Domino or Unstoppable or Lawless mm-hmm. um, or uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, these types of movies. Um, those things have changed too. We're, we're really in a... a the land of superheroes and, and comic book characters and well I think that would be a good time I, I haven't really cracked that code or I'm not really the Ryan Reynolds go-to guy for those things just yet um, I think you know looking at Michael, Michael Rooker and Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, I suspect there's a place for me out there as well so you know we turn to TV now because of you know what you just said uh, to start our conversation or prior to being on air about, you know, you had a chance to uh, sit down and watch several episodes or binge watch, if you will, Marco Polo. And so we see now that television on the streaming platform, the digital platform, is really kind of our art house film these days. And so being on a television show that's produced by Netflix or Hulu or, uh, you know, whatever platform that is that's putting out product, where people can watch it in one big bite um, becomes preferable because the storytelling, uh, the talent that's involved, whether it be at the writer level or the directorial level or the the, the acting level, is all accepting that as the medium. And I, I think I think it changes from doing a studio or an independent film to re- really telling a story like The Walking Dead, and I think writers and directors recognize I don't have to have an hour and a half to tell my movie story. I can tell that in 13 hours, in 13 episodes over the course of a long haul seasonally and and do a better job. So I, I, I feel like I understand that, and so I recognize the power of storytelling in, in television, or mm-hmm. I use the term television. I mean, it, it's... It's really streaming. You know, we can stream on our dead watches nowadays. But uh, so I don't, I don't know if that's an explanation. I still like going out with a script of 120 pages to do a film, and, and recognizing that all of those pages mean something, and all all of the words on those pages have a place. In, in the life of this film, not unlike a, a body part, an organ, or a cell. And in television, I, th- I feel like when I work that not everything is so important this week to land uh, because we've got next week to catch it up or to follow up or to change the, the in direction of the wind. So um, does that make sense? I, I try to explain what that, you know, how it is to me. Um, I like going to work, uh, and so I, I feel like, you know, 
anyone that's paying attention recognizes how things have changed and how important television production has been become. And uh, you know, I I don't think anybody that is talented is going to dismiss television at the level um, that it can be right now. I mean, just everybody's doing it. Yeah, you know, in television, especially the the awards, I think, what is it, uh, I forgot what awards it was, um, where they, you know, give awards to television and movies. Netflix, a lot of Netflix shows win awards now, and, you know, that's like, you know, the, the terminology now is Netflix and chill, you know, because everyone usually yeah. either binge watches or, you know, you can watch it at any time you want and at your convenience, you know, instead of yeah. waiting, you know, there's people who DVR, let's say, a Supergirl show, and they'll just DVR it and just watch it all in one shot. Where in Netflix, you could pretty much uh, watch five today and I'll watch five the next day, or you could just space it out. Though I think it, you know, the 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 TV form and the medium of the way we watch movies and we watch shows is getting so much enhanced. It's getting so much better that you know. We can watch all these shows in one shot, and they're good shows, like House of Cards, um, Daredevil on Netflix, Jessica Jones. There's a lot of, there, there's so much quality quality actors and quality storytelling that you can do a whole, it's basically a 12, like a 12 hour movie, basically, on Netflix, you can do. Yeah, exactly, and so I, I think, I think everybody's making that the, the go-to thing to watch. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's not necessarily the norm, but it certainly is the it's the convenient. You know, it's uh, it, it it makes for I guess a little easier you know opportunity to see things, and and you're fairly selective. You're kind of programming your own TV station. I think essentially that's where we'll get to. You know. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, it's it's weird too to me that there's people that still buy, like in New York, the people still buy the Daily News and the New York Post, where you could pretty much go to the internet and you will get the news, everything that's right, you know, right on your screen. And you know, there's people that'll watch like the news on television, where you know you get the news app on your phone and you'll just see what's going on. So everything is evolving. Everything is just an evolution, and it's yeah, changing. no, to- uh, totally, and so. Um, you know, we have to evolve with it. You know, you and I talked a little bit about taking on change, and those things are, are important for us to, to be able to get our heads wrapped around. And, uh, and um, so we do that, you know? Yeah. We do that. And, and uh, what else is there to do? I think, you know, if you don't, don't change, then you're out in the tar pits. You're sinking, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but um, you know, I I don't guess things have ever stayed the same, and and uh, yeah, we'll we'll just keep doing the best we can, always. Yeah. All, all the time that we can. So, uh, you know, I. I try not to get too bogged down with, man, I miss the good old days or whatever those were. You know, I, I don't, I could, I, it takes,
take me a long time to sort of consider, well, what is it that you miss or what are you talking about? I'm, I'm not sure, but I do know that the business is different than it was when, uh, when we all started and got into it. And that's okay. You know, that's okay. We're going to, we're going to all do fine and it's, the sun is going to, going to shine in the morning. That's for sure. Yeah, that's one thing. Yep, the sun, the sun and the darkness will always be there. That thing will never change. <laughs> that's it, brother. That's it. Yeah. Lou, also, since you've been doing so much work and everything, have you had some downtime during the holidays? Like, did you enjoy yourself during the holiday season? Yeah, thanks for asking. I did. You know, we uh, we stayed close into the uh, Los Angeles. I didn't. Uh, I didn't have uh, uh, any stress or whatnot during the holiday season. It was it was good, and I um, I was happy for the holidays, and I was happy that the holidays were here. And it was a nice time to relax, and and uh, you know the, the uh, like I said, I just came back from Sundance recently, and that was uh, a, a, a nice time to get out in the winter. And uh, yeah, things were things were good. And so here it is for us on the West Coast here in California. We are into uh, February, just the third, really. Mm-hmm. But for me, February always sort of smacks of spring. I hate to say that because I know there's some folks that listen that know that they're tucked in. They're not having our our sunny disposition that we're <laughs> experiencing in New York and in Los Angeles yeah. with our delicate little winters there, you know, six feet under snow in Minneapolis and Ohio and Pennsylvania and wherever, unfortunately. But I start to think about the spring in February, believe it or not, the buds springing, the sun shining, fresh grass, which leads me all to spring training baseball, which is one of my favorite times of the year. So pitchers and catchers report to baseball to start teeing it up and getting ready on the 12th thereabouts of uh, February and then entirely the entire teams report right around the 19th to the 21st and about March 1st we'll start having spring training baseball games and by March 30th those teams will break uh, their respective training camps and, and head out and April 1st we will start the Major League Baseball season uh, 2016 once again of which I'll be excited for as I always am I'll be rooting um, for all the baseball players to get off to a good start and healthy and happy and, and I'll be enjoying a long season yeah. <laughs> people are like dude the Super Bowl is coming this weekend who cares and I'm, I'm good with that too I appreciate that the basketball season and there's the final four yeah. uh, March Madness going on before that but I know there's a lot and hockey playoffs which are great there's a lot to be done before baseball season I understand but we all have our little preferences and, and of course that's mine yeah. are you a UFC fan by chance? You know, I don't mind it. I don't know as much about it. So I, it, I guess the short answer to your question would be no, because it's certainly not something I tune into or, or follow. But if there's one on and my friends, my guys are, are watching it, I will um, I will watch. I have to say, it's a little bit like a car accident for me. You know, it's one of those things like, oh, I don't want to see this guy just whoop 
this other man's ass, but mm. I can't stop. I can't stop looking. Yeah, I gotta. I gotta see what happens. You mm. know that type of thing. Well, did you see the um, Ronda Rousey fight against Holly Holm? I did. I did. I, that surprised me quite a bit. I would say that I was as surprised as everyone else. So I think it's good for the sport that not one person dominates it, and that we recognize always. Yeah, but I think she changed it for everybody because I mean, the people who are not UFC fans, you say Ronda Rousey, they automatically knows who she, you know. Everyone automatically knows who she is, especially her doing films now. So yeah, I think she changed. Well, the maybe game. that's a maybe that's a good uh, a good transition for her to get out of the fight game. You know, she's had a great, great, or she continue. I I don't know. You know, it seems like she's doing really well as an actress. Seems like she's getting a lot of cool roles. I haven't seen her do anything, but some people that are friends of mine have, and they said, hey, man, she's not bad. So, yeah, um, yeah, she needs a little bit more finesse, but, like, right now, like, she was in the Expendables and the Fast and Furious movies, yeah. you know, and right. the roles were just perfect for her. It was tailor-made for her, but, you know, I'm, I think, I'm sure she's getting, I think she has a coach and everything, but I'm sure we'll see a little bit more versatility with her acting. I would guess so for, uh, you know, for all of us, we can, we can change it up. We can, uh, you know what they say, what's the biggest room in the house? The biggest, what the biggest room in the house is, is the room for improvement. So I myself am a, a believer in that. So, um, but, uh, she'll be all right. Let's not, let's not worry for Ronda Rousey. And if she wants to get back in and, and, and go, uh, you know, take a swing at that again, then, um, I think she'll do fine. Yeah. Um, Lou, a couple more questions before I let you go. How has acting changed your life? Well, you know, several ways. We, we, we talk about that all night. But a couple things. One, are, one, are, one of the things that people ask me, well, how did you become an actor? And, you know, there's no one definitive way to do anything. But I do recognize that when you're in... A, a creative place to ideally, you know, build something based on art or ideas or collaboration. Um, you have to free yourself up to be available to ideas, to be available to different direction, to be available for new experiences. So I think that it's changed me in that I... I can't be so set in my ways or be so absolute in my um, approach to things. I have to be, I have to be uh, available to adjust and make changes. But more importantly, you know, you, you have to have a lot of faith in all things, in everything, and you have to recognize that that faith will serve you. And so when I got into acting, I didn't actually know where it would take me. But more than that, I didn't know where my paycheck was going to come from and how I was going to take care of myself doing this. And if you let that be your burden, it will be a big old brick wall in front of you. But if you remove that from being your 
allow yourself to give in to the unknown. The unknown is going to be much stronger. What you don't know is way better than what you do know. Uh, and so if you allow the unknown to take care of you, it will do so hugely. And uh, obviously you have to put the work in and obviously you have to, you know, put the preparation forward in the business. And, and you have to, you have to, you know, push the right levers and buttons. But if you let it go, it's, it's going to come back for you and so that take, that was my biggest step in, in acting of changing my life is, is letting go of a lot of things you know I came from an athletic background of which there's a lot of preparation and rules and regimentation and, and in the arts that's in, entirely different and um, I think for all of our lives the most difficult thing is to just remove the blinders that are you know, keeping us pinned into what we assume to be our troubles. And they are. I'm not discounting mortgages or discounting debt or discounting health or those are real things and they're they're there. They're not going away, but if you uh, if you get small, in other words, if you don't fill yourself up with those things, if you get small and get skinny, I like to say get small, then you'll squeeze through the cracks of those troubles and get out on the other side and you'll see, you know, the sun's going to shine. So hopefully that makes a little sense. But that, those are the ways that acting's changed life for me. Okay, and um, my final question to you, what is your favorite quote? Plug your social media. Plug anything that you got coming up. Besides, well, well thank right? you. Yeah. I appreciate it. You know, I'm out there personally on uh, Twitter, Lou Temple Actor Twitter. Um, the Facebook page is run by a fan, but I will say that fan hits me up every day to let me know who's out there and asking questions and, and needing something. So, uh, Lou Temple uh, Facebook is is. I get those messages. I just don't attend to it quite as personally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm on IMDb if you want to check out and see where and what I'm up to and what I'm doing. And, um, you know, I'm just out there trying to continue to tell good stories, listen to good stories, you know, listening 
clean or always that's the whole part it's called the it's called fishing you know it's not catching so that's part of the march is just uh looking to discover a pot of gold somewhere okay and my advice to you never shave the mustache and keep the and keep the hair on because that's your your trademark that's my brand huh yes. well okay I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that when I'm looking for jobs. See, hey, friend, man, I still got my hair and mustache, and nobody's hiring me. It's all the clean cut, good looking boys getting jobs. But uh, but I, I appreciate that. It's been so nice to visit with you, friend, and and catch up. And uh, it's been a short year, but it is a year, 365 days nonetheless. But we did this and and got her done. And and uh, wishing you uh, the best in all your movements. And you've got some coming up. And um, We'll stay in touch, right? We always will, Lou. I appreciate that. And I hope everybody out there... great to be here on the Atomic, the Atomic Radio Show. Yep. <laughs> and I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one. <laughs>